0: Make yourselves comfortable, but if you go to sleep, please don't let your neck slap down and hurt yourselves. Today's text is one that's iconic for the church. We are in stewardship season, and it's iconic because it is used almost every single year for that purpose, to try to generate the volunteer giving of this church so that we can continue to support places like Tradition House. I think we give almost $20,000 a year to that, as well as the many people who serve that institution, as well as the individual gifts from this congregation to that institution. Those are many of the, that's one of the many of the uh, outreach programs that we search. And so during stewardship season, our our moniker is reaching more and it's about reaching more out into the world and it's about reaching more of uh, that part of God within us and it is about reaching more into our wallets to be quite honest to continue to support this church and so this text from Mark chapter 11 as I said is often used it's known as the rich young ruler story May God's Spirit open up to us an understanding of this word. As Jesus went, um, by the way, I'm using the message version, version, so if you're reading along, it's not the exact translation. As Jesus went out into the street, a man came running up, greeted him with a great reverence, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. You know the commandments, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery, honor your father and your mother. He said, teacher, I have met the commandments ever since I was a youth, kept them all. Jesus looked him hard in the eye and loved him. He said, Then there's one thing left. Go sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth will then be heavenly wealth, and then come and follow me. The man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear, and he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Do you have any idea how difficult it is for people who have it all to enter God's kingdom? The disciples couldn't believe what they were hearing. But Jesus kept on. You can't imagine how difficult. I'd say it's easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for the rich to get into God's kingdom. The disciples were back on their heels. If you're rich, if you're strong... If you have power, you are blessed by God. It is God's gift that has given you those. It is the prosperity gospel in a nutshell. And Jesus has just turned it upside down. The disciples sat back on their heels and said, Then who has any chance at all? Jesus was blunt. No chance at all, if you think you can pull it off by yourself every chance in the world if you let God do it. So ends the reading of the word. Thanks be to God. This is the word of Christ. So, um, as I said, this is the iconic stewardship sermon supposed to motivate us all to give more of our wealth and possessions to the church. Jesus didn't say to the church, but since we're the body of Christ, that works. We call ourselves that. And in fact, over 30 or 40% of our congregation probably gives very little bit to support the church. 20% does 80% of the work, as is usual for many institutions. And if all of us gave just one more percent of our income per year, not one more percent of your giving, but one more percent of your income, we would have no problem meeting our bills. And of course, this text is the perfect text to guilt us into giving our possessions. That said, with all due respect to our stewardship committee and the fine work they are doing, I also have to say, if we think that we are going to find the kingdom of God by giving more of our income to the church or anywhere else, we are sadly mistaken That's not the way it works. In fact, if we think God works that way by keeping score like that, then the only way we will find eternal life is, like Jesus said, give it all, every last penny. That's what he said to the man who was keeping score. Mark ingeniously weaves this story in and out. You like the man immediately. He runs to Jesus. He's a man of power and wealth. Men of power and wealth in those days didn't run anywhere. People ran to them. They walked slowly. It's a sign of their power. Yet the story shows Jesus running to, I mean, the man running to Jesus and falls at his feet. He's looking for the same thing we're looking for. He was looking for meaning and purpose and joy, the kingdom of God. Having not found it through his sizable assets, he was facing this incredible vacuum in his life. We know what that feels like. We're at least a bit mindful of it when it weighs on our hearts. So he runs up to Jesus and pleads with him Help me find the kingdom of God, eternal life. He's not talking about heaven, he's talking about that experience. Of the gospel, that experience of God's presence now in his life, that's what he's asking for. You gotta hand it to him. At least he's running after something, he's chasing after something, at least he knows he's in a vacuum. I have a friend, for 40 years he has never changed. Same place he sits in church, always drives a Chevy, votes in the same party across the line, same house for 35 years, same breakfast every morning, Cheerios, he never even puts fruit on it. He's never changed his mind, never said he was sorry, just sits in his old tattered chair watching the same news channel night after night to confirm what he already knows. Never goes anywhere never gets out of his comfort zone. This is not the kingdom of God. This is hell. He is stuck and frozen in fear. This man at least is chasing after something. He's moving. It's true that Martin Luther said once that we are born with a God-shaped hole in our heart. And this man obviously was feeling that. That story of Martin Luther reminded me of when we gave, uh, had an auction for the youth in my church in Atlanta. And one of our wise elders, and I mean that in a not-so-nice term, he was a good friend of mine, but he said, okay, Steve, put your money where your mouth is. For part of the auction, let people buy the subject that you're supposed to preach on. I gulped, said, "Okay, put the little piece of paper down with the where you sign up place, you know." And he was the only one to sign it. I think he I think he pledged five dollars, and uh, and his subject was donuts. So um, I said it was wise. I had to struggle with what I was going to preach on donuts, and then it helped me remember that when I was in sixth grade in safety patrol and my father was taking me to meet the bus in Charlotte, we stopped by Krispy Kreme and he bought me a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts right off the the, con- the conveyor belt, you know, the, the original ones with the hole in it. And, and, uh, and I knew that I had like 10 minutes to get to the bus and if I got on the bus with 12 donuts, I'd probably get to eat one of them. So I snarfed nine of them down as fast as I could, gave one to my dad, and went on the bus with two left, one for my best friend, the other for my girlfriend, who was my girlfriend, but I was not her boyfriend. <laughs> and so, But those nine donuts felt like an anvil in my stomach. I was sick for three hours, and the point is, isn't that what we do with all our possessions? we gulp them down, we snarf them down, we stuff ourselves with them, and when we do that, it only makes us sick in the end when we are out of moderation. We think it will fill us up, but no. The hole in the donut is the hole in our heart. The only thing that fills that up is the presence of God, the presence of God's kingdom. So he sees Jesus, and he runs up and kneels before him, desperate for something. And Jesus, knowing who he was, and at least knowing what he was looking for, started playing his game. He is a numbers man. He keeps score. He has earned his way all the way through life. Jesus says, okay, you're a scorekeeper, then keep the commandments. Blah, 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 blah. I've done all that. Jesus looks at him lovingly. I'm not sure if he looked at him lovingly because he knew the man was like living in la-la land, that he's been able to keep that, that. Or if he looks at him lovingly because he saw in him everything that we are, we think we are following the law, whatever, he just looks at him and loves him. And what seemed must have been seemed like an eternity, well, you're a scorekeeper. Jesus then says, sell it all, give it up, follow me, then you will find what you're looking for. Ouch. The passage says his face fell, like those emoticons, you know, with the really sad looking face. The cost, his whole body fell. The cost was too high for him to change. And so he had, he had to stand up and walk away with a heavy heart. Knowing it was a teaching mo- moment for his disciples, he turns around and looks at his disciples and says to them, do you know how hard it is for people who have have many possessions to enter the kingdom of God? And they're just, like I said, dumbfounded, because if you have many possessions, that means you already have the kingdom of God. And they said, if this man can't be saved, who can? And Jesus says, the great punchline in the Gospels for all of us, what's impossible for us is possible for God. It is the... Great aha, for even this man who walked away crestfallen because he couldn't meet the cost too would find the kingdom of heaven if it is God's will. What is possible for God is impossible for us. That's the good news. And he pulls the rug out from every single one of us who likes to keep score about how good we are in our religious duties, ways that we inevitably think we find God's blessing. I have to say that of all the good things that Riverside does, which is enormous, people, you just don't know what this church does. We and I am just as guilty with this scorekeeping mentality. What a great choir we have and what a great organ we have and what a great school we have and what a great youth group we have and what good works we do and I hope we can get a, get a gym and a family life center and all ways that we can keep score. You know, that, that's one of our blind spots. We are an, we're an alpha dog church. And I can see it in you because I can see it in me because I'm an alpha dog person too. And I know how much I keep score, but deep down in our heart of hearts, we know that no matter how much scorekeeping we keep, there is still this hole that cannot be filled by what we do. We're dying of thirst in a monsoon. And Jesus will play along. If that's what we want, he'll play along. He lets us go along in the scorekeeping life as long as we want. He just tells us if you really want to know what it takes, sell everything. If that's the way you want to live, if you want to keep score, and follow me. And what he knows is that the existence of the kingdom of God is already with us, it is already completely, fully with us. It is pressed down, it is flowing over, it is everywhere, all around us. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can earn. It's God's grace and love completely and fully given at hand now. And our our ability to live into that, to claim that, to, to embrace that is what enables us then to experience that. We don't earn it, it's unearnable, it's freely given. I just got back from my beloved fishing trip. You know, I'm not here last week, I didn't preach. It's my favorite thing to do, and I discovered that it's one of my possessions I do not want to give up. I look forward to it every single year. And when the hurricane went through, we're all on line looking at all the stuff. Are we gonna make it or not? Are we gonna get there or not? And everybody's freaking out, and we finally did get there. And it's always about the one who catches the biggest fish scorekeepers, or the one with the most spots on it, we're surf fishing for drum, red drum, gets to sleep in the master bedroom next year. I've never won it, 11 years. I'm now tied for first place, 44 inches. But I'm not a scorekeeper. (laughs) So if I were going to say the parable, Jesus' words, I would say instead of it's easy, you know, more difficult for a camel to get through an eye of the needle than, than the cane. Well, out, I'd say it's more difficult for a 44-inch red drum to get through the eye of a number three circle hook. It's a fishing metaphor. It's not the fish. It's not who catches the fish. It's not the size of the fish. It's about the fellowship the community. It's about sitting next to this man who's 60 years old who struggled with alcoholism till he was uh, 48 when he finally got sober, but now his oldest son is following in the same footprints. And he's not only alcohol addicted, but opiate addicted. And we talked about what that meant for him and how there was nothing he can do for his son except love him. He can't fix him. He can't change him. He can't do anything but love him and suffer. And then I would sit down with somebody else and they would be talking about their marriage and how hard that was, or a disabled child. And they're not just talking to me, they're talking to each other because men can talk to each other if we got something going in between us like a fishing rod or a golf club. We can't talk to each other face-to-face, but if there's some sporting event, we can do it. We're not real vulnerable about that kind of stuff. And so we're having these conversations, and it struck me that's what the kingdom of God is like. These people gathered together just once a year. We have nothing in common except that we love to fish, sharing what's going on in our lives with each other. And it's not just the people, it's the place. It's the incredible beauty of sunrise as it comes up and invigorates your day. It is the unbelievable sunsets that happen we lived through the storm. It was 60-mile-an-hour winds that grazed North Carolina. We're out there trying to fish, but we're overcome by the awe and the wonder of nature. And there it is, all of it. No scorekeeping, just all there freely given for anybody that wants to take it in. This is the incredible gift of God, the kingdom of God. Of God is with us always when we start taking ourselves less seriously and start taking God's gift more gratefully you know the sermon you know the sermon it's about gratitude and from that place of gratitude then we freely respond with our gifts that's what Jesus is saying And if we can get that, if we can get that as a church, we won't need a stewardship committee. We won't need a stewardship season. Right here. Quit running after it. It's here. Amen.